it's the planet's ultimate game. There may well be a storm brewing here tonight in many senses. What can happen today, we wonder. The pitch. And welcome into this special edition of Dissecting the Pitch. And, you know, before we do, you know, go into the meat of everything, we have two things to do. First of all, sorry that uh, last week we did not have a podcast, but uh, scheduling issues were, uh, were rough. And also, uh, I felt like if I did a ramp, like my own podcast, it would just be me rambling about Barcelona. And I do that enough, so I didn't want to do that again. But the second thing we got to do is we got to introduce our guest this week. He's making his first appearance on Dissecting the Pitch. Uh, Manchester City fan. He uh, also does uh, great work on the heat check, so make sure to check that out. You know, he does great work on Twitter. But Griffin Peters, how are you doing? You know, how are you excited to be on Dissecting the Pitch with us? Oh, I'm absolutely thrilled to be on with you guys. You know, you guys do a wonderful job here on Dissecting the Pitch, one of my favorite podcasts, you know, at Arizona State, and Blaze Radio, whatever you want to call it, you know, these, these boys know what they're talking about, and it's good, you know, Gareth's not here with us, but Gareth's a legend, I know, I know he's uh, loaned out right now, so hopefully he's developing well, uh, but I know these two are absolutely filthy, world-class, world-class podcasters, so it's an honor to be on with you guys. And I, I have a question for you guys to kick off this episode before we do discuss uh, soccer topics. I Gary Kwok, he's back from loan. He has finished his time at the Prune Packers, so he's back on that side of the pitch. I discussed him coming back and making his start already, but he said he doesn't want to. He says he wants to wait until Champions League goes up. So what's your reaction to that, boys? Uh, man. Well, sometimes you just you hope your players learn from loan, but I guess that wasn't the case this time. Um <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. Maybe he's just, I don't know, dealing with some stuff. But, I mean, who knows? When he gets back to school time, it should be fine. So, I'm not too worried about it. Me and you have got it handled pretty well the past, you know, month or so that we've been doing it. So, Yeah, I mean, it seems like Gareth, seems like Gareth was, a, you know, got a little bit of an attitude since he went to a, to a different club. You know, he kinda, he's developed a little bit of an ego. That's all right. You know, hopefully he's got the skills to match it. Exactly. I think that's why we brought in Griffin. So he's going he's gonna to do the job that, that Gear can do. So that's why we brought him in and we brought someone who's ready for this opportunity. So let's, let's start this podcast talking about, we're going to talk about some headlines that's been happening recently. And the first one, which was interesting to me, because I obviously I'm a big international fan. I mean, I love international football when I can get it, especially the World Cup. And they decided to release the dates and as rumored in Dubai, in Dubai, it's going to, I mean, my bad, in Qatar, it's going to be um, the World Cup. It's going to happen in the winter. It's going to start in November 21st, and the final is going to be December 18th. So what's your reaction to the World Cup being in the winter? And is, is that going to take away from the spectacle that is the World Cup in the sense? My first reaction is you have to think, like, okay, a lot of things that FIFA does and, you know, that, um, the owners of, you know, the organizations and things like that, like it's all money based. 
so that for one speaks to me that this is money based because they're going to play in Qatar and originally it was going to be like 140 something degrees in like the summer so the reason that they have to switch it is because it was going to be so hot and that to me just speaks the volumes that okay somebody just spent a bag to you know get it to be in Qatar which is you know not how it's supposed to be um but I mean I think it kind of ruins it a little bit just because usually in the summer there's nothing else to watch in terms of sports so the world cup is something that everyone turns to no matter what but now that it's going to be in the winter time i think it'll be a little bit different because a lot of people will be watching basketball or you know football whatever it is so i think that that takes away from it a little bit um i'm not sure if it's gonna like really change the outlook of it but i think that it'll make it like interesting though for sure because this is something that we haven't seen you know in a really long time so yeah I mean I definitely agree with Miller's standpoint on it we've never seen you know the world cup played in the winter but obviously it being in Qatar you can't play it in the summer I mean that's just that's not going to be right for the players so having at that time is going to be interesting for how they're going to schedule the leagues and Champions League that year because it kind of kind of slices it right in half you know you kind of start that year at the end of the beginning year of the season so that it'll be at the very end of 2021 going into 2022 but now that you got the world cup coming in in the winter it's going to really affect that scheduling so it's going to be interesting to see how clubs play before they have um, the world cup happen in the winter see what they do in that first half of their league seasons and just kind of see how they play that i think that's an interesting factor that it brings in as well yeah i think you made a great point and something that i was thinking about when these these dates drops is when he goes to the World Cup, every player gives their 100% no matter what. I mean, they're standing up, they give it all because I, this is like their big tournament, this is their big spectacle. They all love to represent the national team. But then it ends seven days before Christmas, and in Premier League, Boxing Day is the 26th, and it's usually a big date. So it's going to be a big headache for Premier League to figure out what dates they're going to resume stuff. I mean, La Liga and things like that. It's just going to be such a headache for um, those leagues to figure out what to do. I mean, even during this Corona, when they had to uh, figure out how to restart and stuff like that, it took a while for them to determine how they're going to do that. I mean, now look at this World Cup. It's it, it's The finish is seven days away from Christmas. I think that's just insane. But, you know, it's something that um, we're, we're going to enjoy as fans, no, no matter what. Even though it's going to be a little weird, it's still going to be the World Cup. And I think uh, we're all excited to see what happens. But obviously, few years it's a few years away. So, going to talk about something that's going to stay relevant into next year. Me and uh, Miller and I discussed this. So I definitely want to hear Griffin, uh, Griffin's response to this first. The five sub rule, it's been something that's been going on since the restart. And it's it, it, uh, FIFA has approved for it to continue next year. So what's your reaction to this, Griffin? Is it a good thing or bad thing? And who truly benefits from this? Well, you know, it definitely brings a different factor in because you have – teams now with the ability to be more flexible with their starting 11s and be able to get guys more rest, have more fresh players on the field when it comes to those crunch time moments later in the game. Um, you know, obviously the best teams in the world with the most stacked, you know, per, like the most stacked teams throughout when they, that first man on the team all the way down to the bottom, teams like Liverpool, Manchester City, you know, guys that have these young stars on their bench that they're just developing, it's going to benefit them. But Another team I like that I think this benefits from is Chelsea because I think they have a lot of fringe first-team players that, you know, some games they might start, but other ones, 
they just can't, and they can't find a way to get him in the game with only three subs. You know, guys like Bashawai, Giroud, Pedro, Loftus-Cheek, guys like that that now can all come in to the game without being in the starting 11 to have those fresh legs come on late in games. I think that can help them win a few. So outside of, like, the big-name clubs, I think a team like Chelsea that's got a bunch of fringe first-team players could definitely benefit a lot from this rule. I, I mean, I think it's cool. I don't really have a hard opinion on, oh, I hate it or I don't like it. It's kind of just, you know, if a team uses it right, it could be really good for their advantage. But I think teams could still just, if they're, you know, really not willing to adapt to it, which I don't know why you wouldn't if you have the choice to, then, you know, they could still play their style of football the way they want to. So I think it'll be interesting to see how teams really, like, capitalize with it. And I think a team like Chelsea could really benefit from it a lot. I'm going to pivot from that and say that I do have a hard opinion. I hate it. Um, I think that it's going to ruin the competitiveness um, in the leagues, in my opinion, because of, you know, what Griffin mentioned. There's like, you know, the bigger teams in the leagues that are already, you know, predicted to win the leagues, predicted to go to Champions League. And this just gives them a step to go even further than that, to lose less games, because if you think about it, there's all these guys that they have sat on the bench. And, you know, if they really want to play or somebody gets hurt or something, then they have all these options to go to and everybody can play all the time. And it's just great. I'm being sarcastic. It's not great. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, because if you think about it, teams like, you know, the, the teams like Watford and Norwich and Aston Villa and, you know, I mean, even West Ham at the bottom, um, you know, they don't have the benches that Manchester United and Manchester City and, Liverpool and all these teams have they can't afford to bring on these players that you know play only 10 games a season and are still really quality so I think that really hurts those kind of teams because they have less of a chance to put more quality on the pitch all the time than everyone else does because I mean if you really think about it I mean three subs kind of limits a team um, to the point where after you get down to two you kind of save the last one for an injury or something you know so if you get down to five, I mean, you can really sub on anybody that you want. Um, I mean, we've seen, we've seen multiple, you know, three or four, even sometimes five players switch at a time, which is just absolutely horrendous in my opinion. I don't think it should be like that at all. Um, so I don't know. I think it kind of ruins how the game is built a little bit. I think it's going to kind of ruin the competitiveness because I think it's going to give the bigger teams more of a, cushion to be able to play with and they're not going to have to worry about things as much because you know if something goes wrong they can just sub half their team out and be fine so yeah I think it's it's I mean I'm the middle ground between you two because I can see the badness but I can see the goodness of it because I think what Griffin mentioned was very important young players who are trying to prove themselves who wouldn't get that time can do that I mean we look at Manchester City Phil Foden is getting more time because of this role you, you see those type of players I mean Chelsea, they went with a different lineup. They didn't put Pulisic in because they knew they can sub him on late. And you saw the impact that Pulisic had in that game, which an outstanding performance by him in that game. I mean, and you look at Barcelona, Ricky Puj and um, Ansu Fati, players like that, academy players who are uh, top-notch players, but they don't get time because of the three subs. But you add two more, it allows them to play. But also, like Miller said, I mean, it ruins the tactics of it. I mean, those three subs – they're there for a reason to make it hard on the manager because a manager has to decide who's that player who I'm going to bring in that's going to make a difference or that's more defensive minded. I have to, I'm going to take out a striker, which defender am I going to bring in that will secure this win or which attacker is going to uh, 
bring uh, I'm going to bring on to make it hard on the defense. And also, you got to think the defense is going to hate this rule because they can just bring in someone who has a lot of pace off the bench, and that's going to hurt them a lot. I mean, it's it definitely it definitely hurts some players. It definitely helps some players. I think young and uh, academy players, I think, are going to benefit the most from this. But, I mean, defenders are definitely going to hate it. I mean, the Sergio Ramos of the world are probably going to complain about it, going to make headlines about it soon. But, I mean, it is what it is and something that we're going to have to continue to discuss as, as we see, you know, and see the results of it. Um, next topic we're going to talk about is going to be a Premier League one. Something that was interesting was Nigel Pearson, the Wofford manager, was sacked two games before um, the, the end of the season, and they're, in, they're stuck for a relegation battle. And yet you sack your manager, and you don't really have time to adjust to a new manager. You know, every manager is different in what they want to do with the team. And you basically sack him with two games. Uh, he was replaced by his assistant, who was on the bench the whole time, which, you know, means they can continue that. But still, it's such an interesting decision for Wofford to sack their manager. Was it a smart move knowing that Wofford was struggling or was it just an overall dumb decision? I don't know which one of you want to discuss this first, but. I feel like, I feel like Miller's got a little bit more to say about it than I do. So I'll just, I think he obviously deserved to be fired. This team has just been brutal. They're, I mean, 18th in the table, minus 27 goal differential. It's been a rough season for Wofford, no doubt about it. But like you mentioned, Edwin, they're fighting to stay in Premier League. And you're gonna make a change like this during a time during this time is definitely questionable. We'll see maybe if it lights a spark underneath the players, or if it kind of just further emphasizes that this season's off the rails, and they go in and they you know they just don't play well. And it it, it is interesting timing, but obviously the club thought you know if they're fighting to stay to get out of relegation, then they they don't think their manager can get them out. So. We'll see what happens. You know, I think it is interesting timing for sure, but I think, you know, Wofford's manager should have been fired no matter what the situation was. Don't know about this early, though. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, they kind of bottled this one just because, man, they're so close. Um, so they're fighting with Aston Villa, you know, to get out, and they're only – back one on goal differential because they have the same amount of points. Um, however, in Watford's last game, they're going to be playing Arsenal. So that'll be a pretty tough game for them. Whereas Aston Villa is going to be playing West Ham, who have already secured, you know, their safety. So who knows how they're going to try and play. But they've been playing pretty well the past couple of games. Uh, so that'll probably be a tough game as well. Um, I think this was a terrible time to do this because unless you're going to hire a manager within the next, you know, 48 hours, this was a bad idea because you still have a game to play. <laughs> um, <laughs> so somebody's going to have to be in charge. Um, and my biggest thing is you might as well let the guy that's, you know, been in charge, you might, might as well keep him for the last game because, I mean, obviously, yeah, you're going to be playing Arsenal um and it's out of a respect thing because i would it, it's kind of tough because in soccer when you when you lose more than 5-0 it's it's an embarrassing thing um and you don't want that to happen to arsenal who's in about 10th place um so i would say that I would rather lose like 3-0 than 12-0 so i would have kept the manager in my opinion 
And, you know, Arsenal's not the greatest team in the world. We know that. Their defense is terrible. And, I mean, you know, Watford has some okay players. And I think that if they would have kept their manager who knows how they play and has been there all season to make the decisions, I think that if they would have kept them, they would have had a lot better chance to maybe even get a tie in this game. And who knows? Maybe Aston Villa loses to West Ham more than likely. And, you know, they would have had a chance to go through. But I guess that they're just going to give up all hope and – see it through to the championship yeah it was something I was not a big fan of because I mean the last match he had before he got sacked was the West Ham game obviously it was a humongous game for the relegation teams and West Ham came out three goals first half this Wofford team looked like they were absolutely done for but you look at that second half whatever he said in between the halftime it ignited the players I mean Wofford played single-handedly better than West Ham did that's like half a lot of people said the scoreline should have been 3-2, just how they reacted. And then you go a few days later, after a solid second half, a few days later, you sack, you sack the guy. You're going to go – you play a Man City team who are going to thrash you, which they did. But, uh, I mean, you, you know he's going to lose that game, which, uh, which they did, obviously, without that manager. It just doesn't make sense. Now they have to head to an Arsenal team. That's beatable, in my opinion. You know, this Arsenal team is obviously one of those teams – you know, those big teams in Europe, just for the name-wise and the players they have. But they're, they're a team that struggled. They, they look really good. Like, you know, they have the ups like the FA Cup. And then they, go, they have their downs against the, the lower teams. And this is, this is something that fits Wofford perfectly. And yet you sack the manager. I mean, and I saw something that he gets a million bonus if they stay in the league, regardless, even if he got sacked. So if, if Wofford's secure this, I mean, the man gets another million dollars. I think that's another L on their part, especially if they secure it. But... It's definitely an interesting move, and I'll definitely keep up with the relegation and talk about that when, when it officially happens. But another interesting headline to me, and we're not going to talk about the move because we'll talk about it toward the end, but with the player Jude Bellingham, who is uh, making his move from Birmingham to uh, Borussia. And the thing we're going to talk about that's making the headline is his number was retired. He only played 41 uh, games for the club. He's a 17-year-old, promising lad, that, that's for sure. But he only scored seven goals. He, he looked good. He, he was big for the club name-wise. But yet they retired his number after 41 games. His number is 22, not an important number. But still, they retired his number. Um, we're going to go what, – what's your reaction to this, uh, th- this headline? Um, well, it's definitely, go ahead. It's definitely interesting. Um, I mean, it's – you know, the, the amount of impact that – you know, Bellingham must have had on the club at, for such a young age is impressive, to say the least. Uh, the fact that the club, you know, wanted to retire his number, it means that he meant something to that organization, obviously. So, I mean, hats off to him. I mean, I don't under, I mean, usually I don't think you would see a number retired in those circumstances, but obviously something within the club thought it was appropriate. And I don't know if we've ever seen a 17 year old get a jersey retired. And, you know, I could be wrong there, but that's the first time I've definitely seen it. So that's pretty crazy that that happened. I think that there's one reason and one reason only for this. I think that part of it is that obviously they're gonna, they've made some money from this signing. So um, I think that's them expressing to maybe free agents that are available to them, like, hey, you know, or a club that respects our players. We've got some money to pay you, and, and here we are. So if you, you know, would consider us, here we are, and you come play for us. So that's, that's one thing. But, but the second thing is, is in 41 games, 
I think he played 32 – he started 32, and then the other nine he came on as a sub. And he scored four goals and had three assists. That's not great, to be honest. That is not great. That's pretty average, if you ask me. Um, that's nothing special. So I'm really kind of scratching my head at this one why they would do that, especially he's only 17 years old. And when you retire somebody's number, it's usually somebody that's been at the club for a really long time. And, you know, it kind of sets the gold standard for what you want players on your team to how, like how they carry themselves, I guess, and, and who they are for your club. So I, I think that that's kind of interesting because I don't really think he even had a chance to prove that, to be honest, 41 games doesn't say a lot. Um, I mean, 41 games, that's one season. So I'm not really sure what to say about this. I just, you know, he was on a lot of people's list, like recruiting-wise, scouting-wise, a lot of bigger teams, and the EPL wanted to get to him. And Dortmund got another young star. So, I mean, I guess we'll see how it turns out, but I'm not really sure about retiring the number just yet. I, I think it's something like you mentioned. I think it's them saying as a club, like, um, if we retire the number, we can, you know, tell the people we're going for, hey, you could be a legend basically after 41 games for us. Like, you, you could be a young star. And if you achieve more than four goals, you might have your name, I mean, your number retired as well, as long as you're not at an important number like 10 or 11. I, I think 22 is just one of those numbers that it's a cool number and sure, but like it's not the that's most important, like the 11, the 10, the 7. Like those numbers carry such history behind it and like such importance, but 22 is not that number, you know? So I think for them, it's just more of a recruiting move and uh, scouting move than just res- not saying they don't respect him, but it's not like he, they're not saying he's like a legend, legend, you know? Like he, he's truly not leaving a big legacy behind just because the stats that Miller says. I mean, 32 games he started, and he only, he only contributed that much. I mean, questionable. I mean, I mean, I think the legacy he's leaving behind is the money that he's that they're going to be able to buy with other players. But other than that, it's something insane. But another headline, something that's not making true headlines. They're not discussing it much, but something I found, and I, I just want to hear the quick reaction from you guys. Recruitment failure. There was an article dropped, I think it was in La Marca, if I'm not wrong. Excuse me if I am wrong. But um, they discussed how this recruitment, how it shifted and how they kind of failed. Real Madrid, in the sense, they decided that they don't want to go for English players because of Gareth Bale. And that's something that the scouting department discussed. Barcelona only had one scouting meeting this year. And you saw how bad they need youth and they need to scout players. So I think that's a failure. And um, I mean, I I have also heard, and I think it was in the articles, and I, I read it, but I don't remember too much. But I think um, they only met twice about La Masia players, which I think is an issue, especially when that's your greatest academy, one of the best academies around the world. So what's your reaction to Real Madrid and Barcelona, how they're taking care of their scouting departments? Well, to start off, I'm not really as worried about Real Madrid as I am Barcelona. Because you look at Barcelona and you can say, yeah, they have these guys coming from La Masia that, you know, have, have started in the team every once in a while. You know, Ansu Fati's great. And you've met, uh, mentioned some other names, Edwin. But if you look at what Real Madrid is doing with their youth, I mean, in the past couple of years, they've brought up Marco Asensio. They've brought up Lucas Vasquez. They've brought up, you know, Vinicius Jr. They've brought up all of these guys. So I'm not really as worried with Real Madrid as I am Barcelona. 
Um, I think the thing with Gareth Bale is kind of interesting. I think that Gareth Bale's that one guy that ruins it for the rest of, you know, the, <laughs> the English like players, I guess, because, you know, like he was the one that came in and did never decide to try and learn Spanish. And it's been probably six or seven years now that he's been over there. So definitely could have mastered the language by now but um, didn't necessarily put in the effort. And that's going to hurt some other guys. I think that might be something that makes Real Madrid, you know, more hesitant of getting a guy like Harry Kane that, you know, has a tough time speaking English already. I don't think he's going to have an easy time speaking Spanish for sure. So um, I think that, you know, it kind of ruins it for everybody else. And I think that that's something that not just Real Madrid dealt with but in the past I think a lot of Spanish teams have also dealt with that because you don't really see English players going to you know uh, teams in Spain a whole lot and maybe this is just another factor of the equation of that but with Barcelona I think that you know and Edwin I'm sure you're going to kind of speak speak about it a little bit and uh, put your two cents in but I think that you know Barcelona only having one scouting meeting (laughs) at all is really bad, really, really bad. Um, Because obviously there's all these young guys that we've talked about so many times before, you and I, that, you know, have been in the the young recruiting classes and stuff like that in La Masia, like Hector Bellerin and Dama Traore. And, you know, all these guys that have come from the Barcelona Barcelona Academy and they're not there anymore. So I think that that's something that – I think that's something that a lot of teams could do better because a lot of teams miss out or just give away players for free, which is something that is an issue because if you really think about it, Kevin De Bruyne wouldn't be at Manchester City. Pogba arguably would still be in Syria. Um, there's a ton of players that I can mention that have come from, you know, other teams and stuff like that. But I think that it's something that not just these two teams, but, a lot more teams need to start recognizing how much talent they have and trying to keep it rather than just giving it away. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think I'll keep my piece short here because Miller covered all the bases pretty well. Uh, You know, yeah, Real Madrid's got, I'm not as concerned with them. They've got a bunch of young studs on their team and, you know, they're coming off or, I mean, they won the league this year. So, you know, obviously they're a little bit more set up for their future and they're currently the best team in their league based off what, what they've done this season. They're still fighting for Champions League. Barcelona kind of had a down here and, you know, that Messi era is coming to an end quicker than most people think. So it's important that I think Barcelona, you know, starts thinking a little bit more towards their future, especially, you know, only having one scouting meeting. I don't think that's necessarily getting the job done the proper way. So I think they've got to start stepping it up on that scouting department and especially with, you know, Messi reports of him being, you know, upset and he's getting a little bit older. So, you know, that area is coming to an end quicker than people think. So, I mean, Barcelona's kind of got, kind of got to start preparing for that. Yeah. And I think, I think both these teams have stud young players and, you know, I think Real Madrid is more set up now because I think they're playing their young players more. I mean, I think Ronaldo leaving was, uh, Obviously, you didn't want to see him leave, but I think it could be a blessing in disguise for their future. I mean, you're going to see Vinicius Jr. be able to develop more. You have the Rodrigo's of the world developing. So I think definitely they're set up better, but I think Barcelona, I mean, how do you only have one scouting meeting? Because I think you have to discuss targets. You have to discuss, all right, this is what we're looking for. I mean, I, you just have to, uh, as, as a department, you have to talk more and more and have a huge meeting with the coaches, with, 
with the president to, to talk about what's your targets? What are we going to do in the future? Because, I mean, if you don't, then how you're going to set yourself up for failure when one person wants this, another person wants this, but they scouted this player. And he's not going to fit that cell, you know? I mean, I feel like the, the scouting uh, scouting has failed them a lot because, I mean, they, they've got, they went to go buy Coutinho and stuff like that. But if they scouted him properly, they would have realized he wasn't, he didn't fit their system. They didn't truly have a, a where he could fit. And I think things like that could be avoided if they scout better. So definitely failure, you know, could talk about it more, but got a few more uh, headlines to talk about. And something that was interesting and I saw on the, that uh, ESPN EFC was discussing was Juventus and how the recent results have been a draw versus Atlanta. They, uh, they uh, drew against Sassalu, if I'm saying that uh, right, 3-3. You, uh, they beat Lazio by one goal, and Mobley scored. Um, and Ronaldo scored, you know, it was definitely a good goal fest. But then the, the following game, they lost to Udinese. So two draws, a win, a loss. Something that you don't want to see form-wise heading into what will be the Champions League next month. So what's your reaction? Are they, are they truly in trouble? Are they in struggle? Are they going to figure things out uh, soon enough? Okay, I'll go first. Um, I'm going to be honest, Edwin. I, this is the biggest question mark right now, I think, in the sport. Because, you know, Juve's been one of those teams that all season during the Champions League, especially not really during the league, more in the Champions League, they haven't really found their identity. They haven't really found the starting 11 that they want to start all the time consistently. So I think it's pretty interesting to see it now crossing over into the league where they haven't had an issue before because they were so far away and ahead of everyone else that, you know, there's been the times where it was a two-legged race between, you know, Inter was there at the start of the season. Lazio has been here in the back half. Um, I thought that maybe last week after watching the game or earlier this week against Lazio, um, you know, they looked pretty shaky in the first half, but they ended up winning 2-1, like you said. Um, and after watching the game yesterday against Udinese, I, I'm not really sure I'm convinced yet because, you know, obviously that's a game that they definitely should win. They started all of their players. They even had Douglas Posta come in as a sub, how they like it. They don't like to start him. Um, they still have a lot of questions at right back. If they're going to play Danilo there, if they're going to play Quadrado there, I don't think they really know about that one yet either. The lit looks shaky as well. Um, he had a good goal, but on the defensive end, uh, the second goal that lost in the game was a thousand percent to Litt's fault. He got nutmegged and embarrassed and they got scored on. So, um, I'm going to be honest, Edwin, I don't really know. This is one of those teams that, you know, we've, we've seen their identity for so long be, you know, we're going to play every defender that we have and they're just going to be better than yours. And we're going to sit back and play defense and then we're going to, you know, counter on the other end. Whereas, you know, with the manager they have now, um, that's not really what they want to do. They're playing more of a two center back style and they're having, trying to have DeLip press up more. Um, kind of similar to how United is playing, actually. They're trying to get very offensive when they possess the ball and that's not really something that they've done in the past. Something that they've done is, you know, they've played more of the patient style and I think with Ronaldo now, it's kind of pressing them to not play that way. So I think it's really kind of interesting to see how, you know, Ronaldo has been changing this team and the manager is trying to change it to fit Ronaldo's style of play with the players that they have. So I think that if anything, it's going to 
give them a lot of problems come Champions League, especially against this Lyon team that they still have to play. Um, because, you know, Lyon actually knows what – I'm not <laughs> – I don't mean to, like, make it sound bad, but they have an identity. They know their style of play. And they've already played, you know, Juve well in the first leg. So, it's something that they're going to have to worry about in the second leg. And I think that the the biggest thing that this is going to point to is how this summer is going to go for Juve. I think a lot of players are going to be on the way out instead of on the way in. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, you'd like to see Juve's form be a little bit better heading into this Champions League restart. And, you know, after the draw for the next round, you see that you could have Manchester City or Real Madrid, and that obviously fans look. It's like, oh, you could have, you're gonna have Juve, then City or Madrid. And it's like, well, Juve's gotta get through Lyon first. They are down one nil currently on the aggregate, but you know, I'm I'm gonna assume, you know, I still think you know Juve will find a way to get that get the job done and move on in the next round. But then you gotta look. You're gonna be playing a formidable club. It's most likely Manchester City because of their performance against Real Madrid on the road. They are they have the away goal advantage heading back into Etihad. It, you know, as much as an advantage it is with no fans, that is to be, you know, that is to be argued. But they're going to have a tough matchup in the, in the next round of Champions League if they are to get through Lyon. So they're going to have to figure out their form quickly. And, you know, they've got to use these, like, whatever they've got left in Syria to kind of figure it out and kind of just form an identity at this point. Like Miller said, they're kind of playing out of their normal style. And if they can try and find some identity here quick enough, get it turned around, you know, maybe they can, you know, do this that little Ronaldo in the Champions League magic because that is something they do have going for them. So we'll see, we'll see what they can do. But it's definitely not going to be easy for them, especially if they can't find their identity quickly. Yeah, uh, definitely agree with both of you. You know, definitely don't want to repeat what you guys said, but it's definitely something you hate to see for this Juventus team. I mean, they're one of those powerhouses, especially Ronaldo. The Mr. Champions League, as they call him, you, you'd hope that they can figure stuff out before they head there because it's definitely not secure for them because of the way Lyon is, and they, they're going to give him trouble. And so it's going to be, like Miller said, it's a big question mark how they're going to do. And it's, it, it'll be uh, one of the storylines, I think, of the Champions League, especially if they get out from Lyon. So definitely going to be something to watch, but we're going to move on to Champions League matchup, something uh, – it's been uh, – they talk about it all the time. At Atlanta, a team who scored a lot of goals in the league this uh, this year, and uh, they had the most goals for. And you have PSG in the last two friendlies, they scored over 15 goals. So uh, will this be a goal fest when it comes Champions League, when these two match up, or what is it – or are they just scoring goals now, and then this uh, Champions League matchup is going to be good and it's going to be tight? Okay. Um I I don't think it's going to be that close of a game, to be honest. I think that if I had to predict it now, I'd say PSG would, would win the game either 4-1 or 4-2, just because Atalanta don't necessarily have the greatest defense in the world, but the style that they play is very fast. But PSG also plays very fast. So uh, And PSG has a lot better defense. They have a better goalkeeper. I'm, I'm not really worried about PSG. Um, but as far as it goes, like me and you talked about Edwin last time we were on this podcast is that PSG, this is, this is kind of their year to do something. And Atalanta is not really that going to be that big of a test in my opinion. Um, but that is the reason that this game could be so much more interesting because PSG 
you know, it's one of those games where it's like, okay, we should win this one, but you can't, you know, you got to stay level-headed about it because Atalanta have proven that they can beat some teams and they're going to stick around. So you, you can't really, you know, let them stay in the game. You're going to have to have your foot on the gas early and often. So I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be pretty interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, I think two teams that are heavily offensive, PSG and Atalanta, you got to take the team that's obviously more talented and that's by far PSG. But the one thing I'll mention about Atalanta is that they've already secured their spot in Champions League for next year. And so they have all their focus right now on PSG and they're going to have that, you know, a couple weeks in advance where they're just preparing for PSG only. Oh, I mean, while I still think PSG will come out on top here, I think that is something to note that Atalanta is going to be sitting here ready for them. And they're, this is, they're looking forward to this match. Like as we're talking, like they're probably discussing how they're going to beat PSG. So that is definitely something you got to take into account. And they're one of those teams that if they get hot, they're going to score a bunch of goals and they're going to be tough to compete with. So I don't think you can rule them out completely, but I think PSG definitely has the upper hand for, you know, just because of their talent in general. Yeah. I mean, something fair to say the talent, I mean, Neymar, Mappe, it's very hard to look away from that. I mean, Icardi as well can't get, get credit away. Dean Maria's figuring things out. I mean, that talent is going to be very hard for that Atlanta defense to figure out. And I think both these teams, they're not the most secure de- defensively. They're not, they're not the Atletico Madrids of the world where they struggle a bit with their defense, but it, they, they make up with it with their offense. They're attacking, and I think if we're going to look solely off that and predict the game, got to give it to PSG. Although Atlanta scored quite a lot in Sierra A, PSG has more ability, more talent, and they, they, they can do it in the big moment, big spotlight. I mean, Mape won the World Cup. You know, Neymar, who's used to um, being in those spots, obviously, except for, you know, times where he gets injured and stuff like that. But he's used to those big spots. So you just got to get the advantage to PSG. I, 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 I would like to agree with Miller that I don't think it's going to be as close as people make it. I think a lot of people are predicting like a 5-3 score line, you know, with a lot of big scores. But I think it's going to be more of a 4-2, 4-1, you know, something, something along those lines. But it's, it's definitely going to be a good matchup. Maybe not one of the best because, I mean, one of them could probably be the Bayern Munich-Barcelona matchup that well, um, a lot of people think Bayern's going to absolutely give Barcelona a big whooping. But, I mean, Barcelona are going to get the rest. They're going to get some time and see if they figure things out under Kike Sentien. But we're going to talk about the a big headline, big news, something that was quite surprising to see announced the other day, but the Ballon d'Or. The, the French um, uh, football organization decided that they're not going to give out the award. FIFA, you know, back them up. So there's going to be no Ballon d'Or. And the likes of Lewandowski was rumored to be one of those to be uh, named and favored. I've even heard the rumors of Kevin De Bruyne supposedly was going to be one of those favorites and things like that. So what's your reaction to Ballon, de, Ballon d'Or not being awarded this, this year? Uh, I don't know. Um, kind of have mixed feelings about it. Uh, I, I, on one hand, I say, you know, maybe it's kind of all right, just because, you know, we've had the, the stopping and starting of the leagues and, you know, now there's five subs and all of these crazy things that are happening that never happened in soccer. But on the other hand, I mean, it just, it kind of makes me wonder, you know, the players that 
don't win Champions League or get out of Champions League, you know, what do they have to play for, really? Because, I mean, they're already, you know, securing their spot for Champions League next season, most likely the majority of them and things like that. So I think it's really interesting to look at and say, you know, okay, well, you know, the Robert Lewandowski's of the world that don't really have competition in the Bundesliga, besides Champions League, what is he really playing for? You know what I mean? So, so it kind of takes away a big incentive for, I think, a lot of people to perform that kind of have things locked up in their own right. So I think it kind of misses out on that. But I think the biggest thing that hurts is the Messi-Ronaldo legacy, just because they were probably, you know, have pretty good probability of one of those two players winning it. And, I mean, not saying that they had it in the bag or anything by any stretch, but they're going to be up in the top four for sure. So that's 50% out of the top four. So, uh, I mean, that kind of hurts them a little bit because this is another year that, you know, like Griffin mentioned earlier, they're getting older and eventually they're going to be replaced. But, um, you know, we're kind of counting trophies at this point and figuring out who's going to have more. Are they going to be tied at the end of their careers? So, I mean, it's it's kind of, a, you know, a little bit of a stumble on the way to their legacy. But other than that, I I don't know. I just kind of have mixed feelings about it. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I, I think it's definitely weird that they canceled the award in general, because I think even though they had the, the hiatus and the stoppage, I think you could have just given the award based off the performances you saw before the break stopped. I mean, the NBA is kind of doing the same thing with their awards. They're, you know, still giving out all their regular season awards, but they're just giving it based off performances before, you know, the whole pandemic stopped sports for a while. I think you could easily do the same thing here because I kind of like Robert Lewandowski has just been absolutely phenomenal this year. I mean, 37 competitions in Champions League and Bundesliga, he scored 45 goals. I mean, that is just unbelievable. Bayern's been one of the most dominant teams in the world. I mean, not only in Bundesliga, but they've, they've done their work in Champions League as well. This team is definitely scary coming into the restart as well. And, you know, I think a guy like – it sucks for a guy like Robert Lewandowski who's having, you know, an absolutely unreal season. He's not going to get a chance to even perceive possible, you know, recognition for the Ballon d'Or. Not like he needs it. He obviously knows he's a world-class player. But, you know, adding that Ballon d'Or potentially to his, to his trophy his trophy case wouldn't have been, you know, the worst thing for him after having a season like this. So I think it's tough. I think it's tough for a guy like that. Kevin De Bruyne too, but I don't think – I think – he didn't really have a real shot at winning it. You know, it's obviously like Miller mentioned, Ronaldo or Messi are probably the two most likely, but I think Lewandowski's had a way better year all around than, you know, De Bruyne has, although De Bruyne has been magnificent. But it, it, it's definitely, you know, brutal for those guys. But at the end of the day, it's just a trophy. I'm pretty sure Lewandowski won't be too upset about it if Bayern's raising, you know, a UCL championship instead of, you know, winning Ballon d'Or. So. Oh, yeah, I think he'll definitely take the Champions League trophy. And I think it's something – I think Lewandowski was definitely one of the favorites, but, I mean, you got to look at players like – and I'm a little biased, but you you look at PSG. You know, you, you could you could give it to the Mop, You could give it to Neymar because they, they've secured their league. They're currently playing a league uh, – a cup title, as we're talking. And then they have another uh, cup race coming up soon. And both those players have been, uh, you know, fantastic for, P, uh, for PSG. And if they manage to bring PSG to the Champions League title that they've been long waiting, I think it's something that the voters would have saw. and. They probably would have uh, tipped their hat to one of them. You know, maybe not a first place vote, but maybe a second one. Well, and what? And if you rack up enough of those, you can win it. I mean, you saw that in the past where 
enough first and second will give you that win. Surprisingly, I mean, the Modric secured his his um, Ballon d'Or that way. So it's definitely something you hate to see. And I thought they they should award it because I mean it's something that they can control the pandemic and they they are still playing the season. They're finishing it out, and if they have such a big push to finish stuff. You, you, you'd think that they'd at least award it, but I think this year has been weird in the sense that this was going to be a Euro year, and I think international trophy was going to be a big determination of who, who was going to be in the likes and discussions of the uh, Ballon d'Or, and maybe that's something that the French football uh, saw and said, you know, we're not going to award it because of that situation. But quick, you know, kind of breaking news in the sense because it was just announced 30 minutes ago. Atlanta United decides to part ways with their manager. I know there's probably not going to be a, a lot of big reactions here. I mean, it's something, you know, we haven't had time to truly read and discuss, but they they lost three games in the MLS's back tournament. They are they did they, they did that without Joseph Martinez, their main goal scorer and threat. Is it fair to uh to depart ways with their manager in a tournament that truly doesn't mean too much? Uh I'm gonna be honest. And this is going to be kind of a biased thing. So the people that are going to listen to this, all probably five of them, just know that this is a biased opinion. Um, but I think that, to be honest, it doesn't really matter because this is the MLS you're playing in. So how much competition do you have really? Not that much. Uh, I think when you get into the actual season, I don't think that Atlanta United will have any issue making it to the playoffs later this season I don't think that it's going to be an issue I think any manager you have you can get there you just have to you know pick and choose some of the right players give them some time to rest every once in a while and you know they have a lot more quality on their team than some of the MLS teams that you know like let's talk about the teams that are just now starting like the Nashville team and you know Miami and all these other teams that are just now starting. Orlando City's one that started a couple of years ago, and you know they're they've looked terrible ever since Kaká left. So I just think that there's there's a lot of teams out there that don't have that much quality. So I don't think that Atlanta United should really have an issue. I think that they could probably stick a lot of people in at manager and do just fine. So I think that I think that it's you know give or take not that big of a deal. Yeah, and they've got and they've got some time here. You know, they're obviously out of it in the MLS and back tournament, so they've got some time to get some things together with their managing situation before the actual season restarts back up. So, like Miller said, I don't think it's actually a huge deal, but you know, it'll be interesting to see what Atlanta United does because I mean, they did go zero three without their without their best player, but you know, obviously they think that they need a new manager to keep them in the direction that they're going. That's to be a very competitive team in the MLS. Yeah, and, you know, I'm not going to add too much more because we have other things to discuss and we want to discuss. So all I'm going to say is, it, I mean, not it's not the biggest news. Like Miller said, it's not the you know, it's not going to be too worrying for Atlanta United. And they didn't have their main goal scorer. I mean, Jose Martinez brings uh, that team to a different level. So a new manager can will step in with Jose healthy and willing to play, and I think that team will be fine. They're not in the situation like the Inter-Miami, the Orlandos of the world, where they're kind of struggling and playing sloppy. I mean – I guess Atlanta United lost their three games, but I mean they'll they'll figure things out. And this tournament, yes, it's imp- the the regular, uh, you know, the first three games, the group stage didn't did mean something for the regular season. But other than that, it's not too important. You can still you know, figure things out and come back when it comes to season. So not the biggest news. We're gonna talk. We're not gonna talk too much La Liga today because again, we, you know, we brought Griffin to Manchester City fan, so we could talk Premier League. So we're not gonna talk too much from uh, La Liga. 
Um, Real Madrid did get end up getting the title. We're not going to talk about that because I think me and Miller discussed that quite a bit um, the last few times, and we both said that it was quite clear Real Madrid was going to end up with the title. But I think it's something worth mentioning, and, and you, you boys, um, you know, you, you know Unai Emery because his time in Arsenal, of course, his time during PSG. You know, that's where I kind of followed him more closely. Villarreal decides to hire him as their new manager. What's your reaction? Is this a good hire for Villarreal? I think it's a great hire. It's one of those that, you know, Emery's got a lot of experience dealing with top players, dealing in top leagues. I mean, you know, the French League and the Premier League are two of the top four, two of the top five in Europe, sorry. Uh, but, I, yeah, I think he's got a lot of experience. Um, he's a bigger name. So, it, you know, even though despite, you know, being the manager at Arsenal and how much of a garbage fire that was, I think that a lot of players will look at that and say, okay, that's a bigger name. Like, it'll give them a lot more a lot more of an identity and an idea of what that team is going to be like now. They already have talent there. They already have a lot of guys that play – for that team that, you know, are kind of on the edge of not saying world-class, but, you know, there's the top-tier players, and then there's a little bit less than that, and they're kind of in the middle. There's some that are, you know, kind of drifters, but they've got a lot of talent, and, you know, they've, they've been contenders in the past for top four and things like that. So I think that, you know, with a bigger manager and some more recruiting that'll come along with it, I think that this will be a big sign for them. Yeah, I mean, Miller just nailed it on the head right there. The main thing for me is just the experience Emery brings, you know, Champions League experience as well. And then obviously with two of the biggest clubs in the world, although Arsenal has been, you know, a little bit, has been struggling a little bit the last few years, still Arsenal, one of the biggest clubs in the world, you know, having that kind of experience, bringing it into a team with talent already, I think that's a good move for them. And getting a manager with a notorious name will help players recognize, you know, get see that recognition, know the style of football that's going to be played help that aspect as well and I, exactly i think you guys both nailed it perfectly i mean unai emery everyone was giving him the tough time because of the arsenal job but it's not an easy job as you can see arteta's kind of struggling with it i mean they're still content and a lot of fans are not happy with him so i think fans jump on on hatred so quick and they're, they're the first to blame the manager right away and i think emery is a good manager i don't think he's the pep guardiola he's not the Jurgen klopp he's not the zidane of the world but he's definitely a manager who can motivate his players. He can get the best out of them. And I think a Villarreal team, they're not gonna they're not gonna be winning a league title. And that's not the pressure he has on them. It's it they're gonna be more hoping for a Champions League spot or a Europa League spot. They're gonna be competing for that. Uh, make sure they're in the top ten at least for the La Liga. You know, that that kind of situation. And I think that fits Emery. I think he does he doesn't he doesn't have that pressure to succeed right away like he did with Arsenal. Uh, that top pressure like he did in PSG to win a Champions League, which he never did, which is one of the main reasons they sacked him. So definitely, I think, a decent hire by Villarreal and something that's very interesting. And it's gonna, I think it's going to be one of the biggest names of, of, of managers in La Liga. Because, I mean, I you know, Kike Setien, you know, Barcelona manager, is not a big name. And you know, a lot of people are getting hatred on him. So definitely, Unai Emery, I think, is one of the best managers now in La Liga. So I think you got to give ups to Villarreal securing him. But we got to move on from La Liga and discuss Premier League. And there's quite a lot to discuss here. And 
But I, I do want to discuss Manchester City first because we did bring Griffin Peters, and I think he, he knows Manchester City at least definitely better than I do. Maybe Miller knows them because he's Man United. That's uh, <laughs> the Man United rival. But uh, what's your reaction to this season now that Manchester City basically are out of the FA Cup after what was kind of a disappointing loss, in, in my opinion. It's something that we just saw Manchester Derby in the final, and that's what I thought was going to happen. They got second place, and but they were, they were off by quite a few points from Liverpool, and now their focus is on the Champions League. So what's your reaction to this season? So, I mean, it, people will look at it, and, you know, they're going to say, oh, City didn't win the league or whatever. I don't personally think City's idea this year was to really go after the Premier League top spot. I mean, obviously, they're, they're in position to do it. And, you know, you can't – with the season Liverpool had, it's kind of tough to say that, especially because the domestic trouble last year for Manchester City, the, the, the history they made last year, they did everything they could. In, the, in, in England. They, they did everything they could domestically. Now you go and then they need to win that Champions League. They had the heartbreaking you know, loss to Tottenham last year in UCL. So I think this year they were focused on that more anyways. And they didn't have a bad showing in the Premier League. The thing that does stand out, nine losses, that is definitely tough because for one of the best teams in the world, you expect them to come out, even when they're not having their best game, instead of coming out with a bunch of losses, maybe a few more draws. So that's really where their points draw back. I mean, they're still 15 points ahead of Chelsea and Manchester United. So, I mean, it's not like people look at like, oh, City had a down year in the Prem. Not really. It's just they had to go against one of the you know, best single-season performances we've seen from Liverpool. So I think, you know, Manchester City still has, you know, some holes on defense that – you know, when they try to address bringing in Jao Cancelo, he hasn't really kind of fit the style that Manchester City needs to play. And it's tough to just completely say it's definitely the defense because City has only allowed 35 goals, which is, you know, the second, the second least in the league. But with a team with that quality, they should do that. The problem, and then their goals, I mean, they've scored the most goals, and it's really not close, 97 goals scored. I mean, that the offense, no one thought was going to be the issue, but – you know, they just need they need a second center back alongside Laporte because he's been fantastic when he was when he's been healthy for City so far since he's been there. And you know, they just need to find they need to find wing backs that really that fit their style of play. Jao Cancelo more of an attacker style of, of back, but they they kind of just need a guy that can hold down defense. You know, I mean, they've got they got they got Angelino, Mendy, but it's just guys that you know. They're good, but I see them more as benefiting from the five-sub rule we talked about earlier, bringing them on for some fresh legs maybe later in the match. But they really need to kind of build a defensive wall, I think, if they're really going to want to compete for a Champions League trophy because you saw it. That came against Tottenham. It was just sun netting goal after goal. And eventually, you know, you got to be able to stop someone at some point. You, know, you can put up as many goals as you want, but if you're giving up that many, it's going to be tough. So I still think it's a successful season. They've got a good, they've got a good chance to advance into the next round of Champions League after their performance around Madrid. So I think if they have a good showing in Champions League, they can definitely reach top the, the, like the top. They can get to the top four and like they were so close to last year. But they just all got to see. Hopefully, they're, hopefully they can step up with their defense and then address it um, in the transfer window this summer like there has been rumors about. So. 
No, you have a reaction to that. I saw you want yeah. to discuss what uh, Griffin was talking about. What, what you got to say about that? Well, I'll leave the uh, potential swap to you when it comes to your turn. I, but he, he just mentioned some of the wingbacks, and you and I had talked a little bit about that before. So I think that I'll leave that to you to, to, to cover. But um, in terms of Manchester City, man, um, I mean, obviously, they're still in Champions League, which is great and everything, and Liverpool's not. <laughs> so, I mean, for them. That is huge. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, after, you know, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Champions League because this team has always kind of been the team that's been kind of one of those that a lot of people can bet on them winning, but they've always fell short. So, I'm not really sure what to think about it this season. They're definitely going to have a hard road. I mean – if they can continue to play well, they can definitely beat Real Madrid. They've shown it. So I think that, you know, they have a good chance. But, I mean, they're going to be the last team representing the Premier League this year and Champions League. So I think that that speaks a little bit to more of how their season has gone, even though Liverpool has been so good. Um, obviously, you know, Liverpool didn't lose for 30-some-odd games. But, you know, they're still not in Champions League. So... That's one thing that Man City has. And uh, the one thing I do want to touch on, though, really quick before I switch it to you, Edwin, is the FA Cup that you mentioned. That's just so disappointing, losing to an Arsenal team like that. I mean, oh, my God. Yeah. How do you lose to Arsenal? They They have even less of a defense than City do, like times five. Like, it's so utterly, ridiculously bad. That's so the other I, thing I didn't mention is just how weird their form's been since the restart because they've gone out, they beat the doors off Liverpool 4-0 after they had to hand them the trophy, but then you go out in the FA Cup semifinal and lose to Arsenal. Like, oh, my goodness. The it's one, I mean, the one, the one thing that I think that speaks to is that um, Arsenal really badly, Arteta really badly wants – to be able to say that his team is going to be playing European football next season. That too, yeah. So I think that this is their one shot because obviously they're too far back in the table. So I think that that was Arsenal's one shot to be able to get back in it is this, you know, that big up. So I think that, you know, that's something that, you know, they could still fight for and everything like that. So it'll be an interesting game against Chelsea, I think, who have also had a pretty weird – you know, form. I mean, they, they beat an unimpressive Manchester United team when they last played. Um, and, I mean, they, they've had some other games that, you know, they've lost that have not been very good. And there's been some games that they've won and they've looked great. I mean, they looked okay against Liverpool, even though it was 3-0 in the first 20 minutes of the game yesterday. So, I mean, but that's also Liverpool is playing Liverpool style because they were handed the trophy yesterday. So, I'm sure that they didn't want to be embarrassed or lose, you know, on the day that they get the trophy. So, I mean, who knows, really? It's it's so weird to watch this at the end of the season because who actually knows how anything is going to go? But, um, Edwin, I would like to let you talk about this and maybe get started on a couple of the potential transfers for this team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no worries. I, I'm actually going to hand it back quickly to you guys so we can, you know, wrap up, you know, a discussion about the Premier League in the, in the sense that, Miller, I'm going to ask you first, uh, what's your, you know, you talked about it, your reaction to Man United's loss. Do you have any more words about that? And I want to hear both your uh, predictions for the Arsenal-Chelsea FA Cup match. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, well, Manchester United, as you guys know, they were on an 18 unbeaten run. Um, and then they, uh, you know, in the, in the past week, they've, they've tied West Ham, which was a pretty close game. Um, they barely beat Crystal Palace two to one, and they lost to Chelsea three to one. So, I mean, it's been pretty interesting. But that's the thing is, you know, every team, you know, they have their ups and their downs. Obviously, they they hadn't lost eighteen games in a row, which is pretty great. Uh, it was about halfway through what Liverpool endured, and Liverpool is so much better than United are right now that. Not even funny, but I think that it was a good run, and obviously, you know, you have to cool down at some point. But I think that it's kind of happened at the wrong time for United, to be honest, because this was near the end of the season where, you know, potentially United were saying, okay, we can get top four in Premier League, we can win the FA Cup, and we can win Europa all in the same season. OGS was definitely trying to get all three of those, but um, I think at some point, you know, players do have a limit. Sometimes they run out of gas and. They can get lazy and, you know, things happen. But I just think that it, it kind of happened a week too soon because, you know, Man United is one of those teams that if they would have won, you know, two of the past three games that they played in the last week, we, they would have locked up top four. So I think that that's something else that you can look at for Championship Sunday that, you know, if United do end up losing to Leicester on Sunday and missing out on the, Premier, or the Champions League, rather, I think that it's something that you can look back at this one week where they got lazy, they ran out of gas, and, you know, it's been the same starting 11 over and over again. So you got to kind of drop some questions there for OGS. But, yeah, I think that all of these FA Cup teams that played in the semifinal kind of had their ups and their downs. But I think for the final, I'm going to stick with Arsenal winning it. I'm going to say three to two. And I think it's going to take – do they play? I think they play extra time. So, I, I think I'm going to say an extra time before penalties just because, you know, Chelsea have been looking like, you know, they lose games, but they can score goals for sure. So, I, I think that it's going to be a close game, but um, I'm going to give Arsenal the edge just because I would like to see them playing European football next season. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to have to agree with Miller on this one with – the Arsenal pick, I think it's going to be a little bit higher scoring. Like you mentioned, Chelsea's got a very high-powered attack. They're going to be able to score some goals, and Arsenal's defense is, you know, kind of suspect at times. So I think, you know, Aubameyang, Lacazette, and that whole crew up there are going to be able to score some goals of their own. And like and like we, Miller said, they're playing for more. If they don't win this, they're not playing in European football next year. Uh, and that's that's definitely something that Arsenal can't really have going for them. They got to they gotta be in that to stay, you know, kind of relevant. Couldn't imagine them having a similar finish to this to this year, next year in the Prem, alongside not being in any European competition. So, very big game for Arsenal coming up against Chelsea. I think they get it done. It'll be a close one, though. I'm going to have to do the flip. I'm going to pick Chelsea. Now, I know Arsenal has all to play for, and I think they should, and I think this, this game means more for Arsenal than it does Chelsea. I got to go Chelsea just – Purely off, I think they're clicking. I think Frank Lampard has something to prove to Jurgen Klopp after Jurgen Klopp's recent comments saying he's still young, he still needs to learn a lot. I feel like Frank is going to be motivated to win this. And I think, I, I hate to admit this, and I know Miller knows this, that I'm not a big fan of uh, admitting when the American players are on form, but Kirsten Pulisic, oh, God, he's on a different form right now for Chelsea. And he's got to get the nod and start. And I think if he does, he's just going to make that – He's just going to make all the difference in that game. And I think Arsenal fans, uh, 
uh, they're just too high on Nicolas Pepe. And I saw them saying uh, Chris and Pulisic could never touch Nicolas Pepe. And I think uh, Pulisic is going to prove them wrong when it comes FA Cup time. So I'm, I'm giving the edge to Chelsea. And to wrap up our Premier League talk, before we talk about transfer rumors, something that I know Miller and I want to discuss, definitely is a championship Sunday, a lot of big matches. I'm going to task you both. Pick one. You can do two if you want, but pick, pick the best match this weekend. I know, I know Miller's I know Miller's sweating already for from Man United <laughs> for Man United's game against Leicester. That's definitely the game I've got my eye on. It's 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 do or die for Manchester United there. They win this game, they control their own fate. They gotta win this game, right? So, you know, if they lose, it's gonna be real sweaty for them. But I think if they win, it it just it secures their spot in the top four. And then life's good for Manchester United fans. We'll be back in the Champions League. Miller's thanking God right now for this, that Mason Greenwood has been so brilliant since this recent So, you know, I think that's definitely the game I'm highlighting just because of all the implications of Manchester United controlling their destiny. Pretty sure, you know, Miller was thinking that one too. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of games that hold a lot of value to that top four spot, you know, right now. Yeah. For sure. But I, I'm actually going to go with a different game. Uh, and there's two, actually, Edwin. I'm going to exercise your option to pick two. <laughs> so the first one I'm going to go with is the Chelsea and Wolves game. Yeah. Because Wolves are fighting for a spot to get in Europa again next season. As they've been so good in Europa because it's not hard to be good in Europa because everybody's bad. But I think that it'll be interesting to see – because everybody on Championship Sunday has their eyes on other games. So the other game that I want to mention besides Chelsea and Wolves really quick before I get to the importance, like the significance of that game, is Tottenham and Crystal Palace. Because Tottenham is one point behind Wolves also trying to get into Europa because they're not going to make top four. So I think that it's going to be interesting because if Tottenham beat Crystal Palace – Wolves are really going to try to beat Chelsea because they're still going to want to stay in that top six race. You know what I'm saying? So I think that it's going to be interesting because Wolves are going to put up a fight against Chelsea. And if Chelsea loses, United make Champions League no matter what. Even if United lose their game and Chelsea also loses, United still makes top four. So I think that that's going to be the most interesting game is going to be Wolves versus Chelsea. Um, Obviously... There's going to be a lot of other games going on. United game is going to be going on. But I think the Wolves-Chelsea game has more significance to more teams than the United and Leicester game. I know. I, I think I was about to pick that game, but I'm going to go someone different. And I'm a, it's hard because the combination of these three games are, I think are important, but I'm going to focus on one and then, you know, give a second one that's very important. I think the most important game that no one's going to be talking about is Bournemouth versus Everton. You have a Bournemouth team who has a chance and has a decent chance to get back, and they're playing an Everton team that's good. Don't get me wrong. With Richarlison, he, he's a constant goal scorer for Everton, but they're not the best team. They're definitely a team that's very beatable. And you look at the Watford game versus Arsenal. Watford is going to have a tough time. Obviously, it's not a great Arsenal. But they're going to have a tough time to win. And then you have the West Ham, Aston Villa, which West Ham has no true motivation to go out there and push their 100, but they're still going to, give them a hard time. And I, David Moyes is basically still fighting for his life to be the manager next year because there's still questions there. So uh, Bournemouth has a great – Bournemouth has a great chance 
to uh, secure um, their way out. And if they take care of business, they just got to hope the other results uh, help them. But I think it's a great matchup between Bournemouth and Everton. Definitely a matchup that is not going to get the recognition it should. But it's definitely a great matchup. But we got to talk about transfer rumors. Definitely something that we, we uh, I know Miller wants to discuss for sure. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna start with uh, we're gonna start with your two that you definitely want to mention, and Miller. So I'll, uh, I'll definitely let you introduce them. But uh, the Kulabali uh, Ake Skriner uh, discussion. Uh, talk to me. What, what what did you want to talk about with that transfer rumor? Okay, so the biggest thing that I think a lot of people are talking about right now in the Premier League is the need for center backs. That's always a pretty big need as it's hard to get good ones, you know, because every team runs at least two or three. So every every team needs that anchor. Um, so if you look at a lot of teams around the, around the Premier League, uh, excluding Liverpool, you have Chelsea who are in need of a good center back. Man City, as Griffin mentioned, are in need of a good center back. Man United are in need of a good center back. Leicester have a guy that's going to be on the way out. There's a lot of teams that are going to be looking for this spot. So there's a couple of names that have been mentioned in the past couple weeks, past couple months even, um, that have been, you know, kind of on the carousel for who's going to go where. So the first one I want to start with is, start with is Nathaniel Ake from Bournemouth. He's been playing in the Premier League a long time. He's still kind of a young guy, though. He's got a lot of experience. Um, obviously, Bournemouth didn't do so great this season, um, even though they had some good players. Joshua King. I mean, they had Ryan – or yeah, they had Ryan Fraser on there as well. There's some other guys that have played there that might also be on the way out. But Nathaniel Ake is probably the biggest name on the way out of Bournemouth because, you know, there is that need for center back. And – He's a guy that is probably going to be going to Manchester City right now. A lot of people are saying that they've already agreed to personal terms, which means that the only thing next is we actually got to talk about the numbers. Let's sit down and sign this thing. So that's going to be something that is, I think is going to be really interesting because another guy that I want to mention on the carousel is going to be Kalidou Koulibaly from Napoli, who has also been linked to Manchester City for like the past three months. So, to me, it doesn't make sense to sign them both. So, the thing is, is if Manchester City, as I said, they've already agreed to personal terms with Ake, what's going to happen to Koulibaly? And the interesting thing is his age. He's a guy that's kind of up there in age, but he's arguably a top five center back in the world, in my eyes, top three. But, I mean, he's really, really good. He's got a lot of Champions League experience. He's you know, played with some of the best players in Italy. And, you know, he, he's got some decent teammates and stuff on his national team, not to mention Mane. Um, but, yeah, there, there, is, there is some definitely some experience coming out of this guy. He knows how to play the game. He's just going to be older, and he's also going to come with a hefty price tag because of his experience. So I think that it's going to be really interesting to see where he winds up, although I don't think it's going to be Manchester City right now just because of the Ake thing. Ake is going to be signing for probably a lot less than what Koulibaly Woods, and he's younger, so that's probably what Manchester City is going to go with. I don't think they'll sign both. Um, and then the other thing I want to deal with really quick is uh, Skriniar is a player that plays for Inter Milan in Italy. He's got a partnership with De Vrij, um in the back, but he's a guy that – has been looked at for the past couple of years. He's definitely got some pace to him. And he's one of those 
complimentary guys. I could say, like the partner that plays with Koulibaly, Manolas is a guy that I would compare him to because he's a guy that he's got some legs under him, and he he's definitely a good um, a good partnership type of center back to have with with somebody else that's more of a lead, kind of a slower captain type of build. Um, so I think that he's a guy that could definitely fit with um, with a Man United or a Leicester. I don't really know about a Chelsea because you know who are they going to keep? They've got Rudiger, Aspilicueta, they've got so many guys, but um, I'll let you guys kind of touch on that, but really quickly, also, I want to mention um, the other need in the Premier League that's also big, so you guys can wrap it up full circle when you get to it, but Oblock and Henderson are the two goalies that are kind of on the market right now. Um, probably the two of the best goalies in the world from this season, I would say. Uh, Dean Henderson has been the best goalie in the Premier League far and away. Um, no doubt. I mean, you could say Allison, but look at the defense he's got in front of him compared to what Dean Henderson's been playing with. So I'm going to say the interesting thing here is Dean Henderson's on loan for Man United. Man United recently have extended De Gea, which is probably the worst decision in all of mankind. Um, so I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Man United are going to do with an extended De Gea because no one's going to really want De Gea, so they're going to have to make the decision of okay, do we give away Henderson or what are we going to do here? Um, and the price tag right now for Henderson, he wants at least 100K a week wage, which is a lot for goalie, a lot. But Oblock is going to command about the same price. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see. Oblock is one of those guys that's been on top for a lot longer. And he's played, you know, Champions League every season of his career pretty much. And He's he's done everything he can, and I think that it'll be interesting to see where these guys go. So I'll let you guys uh, kind of touch on that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to propose something to you, Griffin. I, I want you to focus on some things as you discussed, because you can talk about the other things that Miller discussed, but I think some things with Manchester City related. The hockey move, definitely something I want to hear your opinion on. Ferran Torres, someone who is a, an electric winger from Valencia, he's rumored to be the one who's going to replace Leroy Sané. I want you to discuss that if you if you feel that's a good move. And finally, something that's very interesting to me, I, I talked to Miller about this. Man City and Barcelona are, are discussing a swap of Nelson Smedu going to Man City. Man City gives Barcelona Joao Cancelo and um, uh, Eric Garcia, the former Barcelona Mazia player. So discuss those three moves, you know, whatever way you want to, you know. I'm just going to give you the reins to talk about Man City while you're here. Yeah, so, you know, it, there's, there's quite a lot to digest with what Man City wants to do. So, you know, obviously you talked about Ferran Torres. Um, with, you know, with Leroy Sané leaving, you know, it actually kind of helps, you know, free up Man City's kind of clogging wing. You know, Mares, you know, Raheem Sterling, and Bernardo can go out to wing. So, you know, kind of getting – it's it definitely is sad to see Sané leave because he was so – he was so brilliant for – uh, the club, but you know he, you know he's definitely wanted to go back to Germany, wanted to go play for Bayern, and you know, coming off that ACL tear, I think it was just the right time to part ways. So I think getting a guy like Torres is good for that depth. Can definitely become a you know part time, you know first team, first eleven starting eleven guy, but also be that kind of super sub off the bench because you know Mares has looked solid this year for City, and obviously Bernardo is very flexible with his positioning. So I think having a guy like Torres to increase your depth would be really good. 
Um, not to mention that, you know, there's, there's rumblings of maybe Gabriel Jesus departing, you know, in this transfer window. So adding, adding to attacking off your bench for depth is definitely something City should address. Is it a biggest need? No, their biggest need is definitely defense, like, like we talked about. And I think Miller hit it head on. I think Koulibaly for City would be a great fit. But the price tag, and he's, I think he's 29 as compared to Ake, is 25. So, I mean, if City wants that age and they really believe in Ake's development in these next couple of years when he reaches his peak, then I think that could be the right move, especially because he's a little bit cheaper. Um, and he's playing the Premier League, so he's a little bit more familiar with, you know, how their team style of play is and all that. So either way, I don't think they can go wrong. I like both signings a lot, but I think Ake is more likely to become that signing, especially because, you know, they are, they've agreed all that terms and stuff. And, and the cool volley rumors have kind of been quiet for a little bit. I mean, it's been a while since that was, uh, since that heated up. So you know, I think, I think Ake is a solid pickup for city. I think that's a good, that's a good partner to have alongside Laporte. Uh, and then, yeah, I think, I think that would be a really good help to their defense. We'll see because, you know, city's got a good defensive defensive midfield too. You know, they got Rodri in the last summer transfer window. And then they still got Fernandinho around, who's obviously got all that experience. So I think just that one center back and then maybe for finding, you know, wing backs that can really fit that style of play. And they're, they're, they're going to have a formidable defense. We'll see if they actually get it done, though. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, to start wrapping up things, uh, uh, I'm going to give my little take. Uh, Henderson, he's definitely the future for Man, Man United and goalkeeper, I think, to have – he has his air and it's time for him to go. O-Block, worth the price. I definitely think anyone who go gets him. He deserves to step up from Atletico Madrid. I think they're a big club. But if he makes a move to Premier League, I think he could cement himself as one of the best keepers. Ake, I love the signing for Man City uh, if they secure him. Koulibaly, I think he's one of the best center backs in the world. But, I mean, he's aging a little bit. But, and I think that's a little trouble for someone like Man City who are trying to kind of Think in, think of, of the future as well as in the present. So, I love Ferran Torres. I just wrote an article on him. I think he's a great signing for them if he, he does end up for them. But I do want to ask Miller uh, really quickly. Uh, Victor Oshimi, he secured his move to Napoli. Uh, discuss that move a little bit to wrap this up. Yeah, um, great move. Great, great, great move. Um, Victor Oshimi is another one of those guys that – is coming from the French league. He's playing on a French league team that doesn't really have a whole lot of talent. But the funny thing is, is one other guy on that team, however, that does have a lot of talent is Renato Sanchez, who, you know, is Portugal. He had the Euro one, uh, win when they, they won that with Ronaldo. But um, so he does have another world-class player there. But um, he played really well during the season. He got player of the month once. Or maybe twice. I can't remember if it was once or twice, but I know he won it once for sure. Um, he's up there in goals. He's got a lot of uh, like speed uh, for his size as well. He's got a pretty good size on him. So I think that he's one of those prototypical strikers nowadays that can kind of probably do it all once he refines his touches and his shot a little bit and kind of just shores up, you know, his play. But I think he's going to be really good. The most interesting thing to me is the price tag. Um, even you said, and we talked about it before, Tino, Timo Werner is an already polished striker in one of the best uh, leagues in the world, and he cost about $49 million in total. And Victor Oshiman came from the French League on a team that 
you know, hasn't made Champions League in a while, and he was 72 million in total going to Napoli. So that says a lot, I think, about him and kind of his play style and what what a lot of teams hope he's going to be. Um, but I think that the most interesting thing here is I'm going to compare him to one player that went to the Premier League recently. Nicolas Pepe, you know, hasn't been that great. He's been okay. He's played on the wing. But I think that the, the most interesting thing about Victor Oshman is that he can do both. He can play on the wing and he can play striker. So if there was someone that I had to compare him to in terms of potential, it would be Nicolas Pepe's uh, teammate, Aubameyang. I think that Victor Oshman could be a future Aubameyang if he continues to progress how he's going. But very, very good signing for Napoli. And they're in Champions League right now. And I think that this was a signing to, you know, help them stay for a long time. I agree. And my final quick question for both of you, just a quick yay, yay or nay, Douglas Costa, is that the right move for Man City? Ooh. I'm going to go – I'll say yay on that one because I think he fits the way they want to attack. They like attacking out with some pace on the wings. Let De Bruyne just have options out in front of him and just basically let him run loose. You know, Sterling's got some decent pace, but then if you throw Costa out there – and throw Sterling out on the right, have Costa out on the left. You're going to have pace on both sides instead of Mares. You know, he's got decent pace, but nothing like Costa, nothing like Sterling. So that would be even more – like City's already got high-octane, a high-octane attack, and you just add in another guy with that kind of pace, like Douglas Costa and his, his skill, and it would be pretty nasty. So I think that's a good fit also. Yeah, I, I mean, I was talking to some people earlier in the week when I saw this, and – uh, I kind of said, you know, to be honest, they basically just replaced Sané. I mean, they got the same quality player. I don't know how much he's going to sign for, but they got the same quality player as Sané. And, I mean, they both have injury issues now and again. So, I mean, you know, Douglas Costa has a little bit more experience, however, playing Champions League. I mean, now he's played for Bayern Munich, Juve, and now probably Man City. So, there's a lot of players that we've seen that have also done that kind of rotation. Uh, and one I want to mention really quick that's just been rumored today that I just added to the list is Kingsley Coman, who also plays the same spot, has been rumored to maybe go to Man United. So I don't really know. I don't really know if that's the greatest thing in the world um, because there's another player on the same team. Thiago Alcantara is also rumored to go to the Premier League, and he has agreed to personal terms with Liverpool. So there's a lot of things going on in the Premier League right now, and I think that the most interesting thing is, is I want to get done with Sunday because after Championship Sunday is over, sure, we can see who's going to be Champions League, who's going to be Europa League, but the most interesting thing is I want to see how quickly the signings start flowing in. As yeah. soon as the, the league is over, I think it's going to be interesting to see how quickly and how often these players are going to get signed because there's been so many links. There's been so many rumors. I think it's going to be interesting to see how this happens. I think this is going to be the biggest summer in a long time. I agree with you, but I, I think also a lot of these big teams are going to wait for the Champions League to be over. Like the Man Cities of the world are going to wait for the Champions League over. But I mean, I think that gives the advantage to the Man United, the Liverpools who are not in it, who can secure their guy right away while the Barca and to anyone who's in the Champions League are going to wait and folks on the Champions League. So that's going to wrap it up. Um, before we do go, Kylian Mappe got uh, forced off with the ankle injury and a very ugly tackle, a red card tackle. 
there was fights about it. So, I mean, that's definitely worrying as a, as a PSG fan. I think it's something we'll discuss definitely next time. But definitely a pleasure to have you on, Griffin. We'll definitely have to do this again with Garrett Falk as long as he, he's brave enough to do it with us again. <laughs> Absolutely, boys. Thank you for having me on. It was a blast. You know, you guys do amazing work, so keep it up. And I look forward to continuing to listen. And uh, anything to uh, finish off the episode, Miller? Uh, let's go United. Big championship Sunday ahead. You know that there's going to be plenty of people out there in the world gambling on this game, and I will, in fact, be one of them. <laughs> so <laughs> I cannot wait any longer for championship Sunday. I, the transfer rumors, everything we've, it feels like we've been waiting for months for all of this stuff to actually, you know, come to fruition and just kind of get, you know, get cracking. So let's, let's do it. Yep. And I think, I think that's a great way to end it. Thanks for listening and we'll, we'll definitely catch you next time.